Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. It is an honor for us this morning to have all of the ministers in the church that bless us. They, I'm, I am just incredibly humbled by what God has given to us by way of the gifts of the men that serve in our church in various capacities and and um, you know we're we we're don't ever get served tuna sandwiches and grilled cheese sandwiches, but they bring something that'll put meat on our bones, and I appreciate that very very much. Today, Brother Rayleigh is coming to teach our Bible class, and you know I I realize that for the last few Sundays that that I have almost abused you, <laughs> and uh, so you if. So you're going to need to go about an hour and a half or they won't even think they went to church today. But uh, I do appreciate what the Spirit of the Lord is just doing in our midst. And, and I, I appreciate these men, and I want them to know that. And I, I'm not just saying this about Brother Rayleigh, but it applies to him for this morning service. But uh, this past Thursday, I, I met some men who, who just stood. And with tear-filled eyes, they said, you just have no idea how much we appreciate the men that are in this church that minister to them. And, and again, they're not just coming and handing them cheese and crackers, but they're bringing them something that, that can make an eternal difference. And I appreciate that very, very much. I wonder if you'd just make Brother Rayleigh welcome. He's not a stranger, but we want him to know he's not taking advantage or for granted either. Hallelujah. Hour and a half, you've asked a hard thing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. I do welcome you to the church, and it's good to be here this morning. It's good to feel the Lord's presence already. And I do can say that uh, I know you will receive something from the Lord because I do have enough confidence in the Lord that what you can receive... It doesn't even have to come across this pulpit. God can impress something upon your heart, whether it is spoken from here or not. So uh, keep your spirit afresh and stay ready and stay listening. Hallelujah, because God can touch us. So we just uh, want to take a few minutes, and and uh, I'll, I'll just start like this. I'll try to be kind to you. I'll try not to keep you an hour and a half. So we'll... Uh, We'll just look at it. If you would, just turn with me um, to the book of Colossians, and we will uh, begin there. And what I want to speak about, I I thought about for a title, and I just want to title this The Mystery uh, Within the Church. There is a mystery within the church, and that's what I want to use for a title. And I'll just start at Colossians, the first chapter. And let's start at verse uh, 25, and this is Paul's writings, 
in Colossians 1, 25, he says, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which has been hid from the ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Now, I want to skip over, if you will, just follow on the screen, or if you want to just turn a little bit further in your Bible, I want to turn over to 1 Peter, and I want to read a few verses in 1 Peter, the first chapter, and I'm going to start at the um, 18th verse. This is the Apostle Peter 1 and 18. He says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received, from, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Now, the Bible does tell us in Revelation that the church, or the Lamb, was slain from the foundation of the world. Now, God didn't just look at the church and all of a sudden uh, it take him by, su by surprise. The church has been around basically, as we would say, since the beginning of time as we know it. And we have of what we call the church. In other words, really I guess what I'm trying to say is what is the church to you? If somebody asked you to define church, what would you tell them? You know, I know the normal answers. We would tell people, you know, it's a, a group, an assembly. We come together, we meet. Like right now, we would say this is the church. And really, I guess, and to us, it is the church. But I think there's a separation. I don't think that's the way God look at it. You know, this is to us, this is church. But does God call this the church? I think there's more to it than that. I think there's a whole lot more to it than that. But this is what we call church, an assembly and a group of people, us coming together to worship the Lord. And I'm not saying that's not church. That is church. That's what we call church. But there again, I go back to my question. What would you tell someone if they asked you literally to define church? What would you tell them? Most likely the normal answer is somewhat similar to what I just said. And that's if they asked me, that's what I would tell them. We would gather together of like precious faith. We uh, believe and agree on the same thing. We believe this. This is why we come together. This is what we believe. We worship God. We believe this. We have these standards. We believe this holiness. And so therefore, that is the church. But I believe there's a whole lot more to it than that. 
So I believe there is literally a mystery within the church. And there's some that is just, uh, they just go to church. Why do you go to church? I don't know. My parents always went to church. You know, my grandfather went to church. I'm going to church because I feel it's the right thing to do. Well, that's good and noble because you should go to church, and it is the right thing to do. But as Brother Boyd has said through the years, He's not coming to this church because his grandfather came here or his mother come here or his father here. At some point, you've got to stand up on your own two feet and say, I believe God is God and this is why I go because I believe God touched me. Not only my parents and my grandfather, but God touched me. He not only loved them, but he loved me. So I'm not going for them, I'm going for me. And I want my sons and those associated with me and my wife not come because of me, not look at it, well, why are you going to church? Well, my husband drags me there, or my father dragged me there. I want them to come to church because they have a desire, because they have a personal relationship with God. Because one of these days, sooner or later, I'm not going to be around. So they, they got to have something that's going to pull them. They got to have a relationship that they could stand that they can go to church because I was listening to, I, I don't know how to describe it other than just basically an old rocker talking about um, churches, we would say. And I was listening to him speak, and he said, when I came to God, literally no one else would have me. And I thought he was just, just making words, just, just a sentence, and he just went on. But as I listened to him, he was serious. And he says, literally, as we would say, without being too crude about it, the world just used him up, kicked him to the curb, and he said, when no one else would take me, God took me. And that fused a bond with him. And he said, when everybody else turned their back on me, there's one that still reached out to me. When no one else wanted me, God himself said, I will take you. So therefore, that fused a bond with him when no one else would literally take him. Literally, that was his words. When no one else wanted me, God would take me. So therefore, there, uh, I believe that was very good and very noble. So he took. And so this is what I want to speak about for just a few just a few moments today, just, just to try to have a lesson. I'm going to try to stay with it and stay, stay with it. But um, Paul, in his writings, he mentions the church 63 times in his writings, speaking of what basically I believe we would call the church. Luke, in the book of Acts, he mentions it 25 times in, the, in his writings. John's writings in the book of Revelation, in his writings, he mentions it 23 times. But we understand, we want to understand the way we say church, we want to look at it the way they looked at it. The first century saints, we want to look at it the way they looked at church is the way we should look at church. So the way they looked at church, it conveyed three things. The way the New Testament saints looked at church, they looked at it as, when somebody says, let's go to church, they looked at it as three, in three different things. The first was assembly. It meant that always there was assembly, just like right now. The people assembled, always. When uh, the Jews at Jerusalem, when they said basically what we would say, it's time for church, there was an assembly. So that was it. Therefore, the church 
couldn't be called a church scripturally unless there was an assembly or a group or a coming together of saints. That first was the first one. They came together. Second, there had to be unity. Not come in, you believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I believe and we'll be all happily ever after. Just pardon if I'm making fun. That is not the case. There had to be unity. When we come together, there will be. There could not be no separate congregations. We're going to come together. We're coming together for the same goal, the same purpose. We're going to believe what this book says. We got one Bible. We're going to believe it. We're going to agree what it says. We're going to believe this Bible. There was to be a unity. There was to be no ethic, no social divisions. Everyone come together. Everyone believe the same thing. Because we have... 500,000 different churches, that is not God. I'm telling you, that is not God. That is man. And just believe that any way you want to. God did not ordain that. God gave us his word, and he says, I will put my spirit in you. What would, what would, what would a God be like if he says, I'm going to give you a book, but I'm going to give you 500 different ways to get to heaven? How would you know what to believe? You wouldn't know what to believe. God said, this thing is not complicated. A child could even conceive of this thing, he said. So therefore, I believe there is one way. The Bible even teaches there's one way to get to heaven. I'm not trying to be crude or callous. All I'm saying is when they came together, there was to be unity. Everyone was to come in. There was to be unity. Third, there had to be equality. When you walk through them doors, I don't care who you are, how much money you had, your position, when you walk through them doors, it did not matter. When you stood here, everyone stood on equal ground before this cross. Everyone. It did not matter. Your position, if you was a judge or you was a drunk, it did not matter. Everyone, in humanity's terms, everyone was equal. Everyone had an equal vote when it come. In other words, God died for all. He died for everyone. And some people get this group mentality when they come to church. And that's why the Bible teaches us. If someone walks in with beautiful clothing and you tell them you come sit in Moses' seats like a Pharisee. And somebody walks in with rags and you say, you sit on the back. God said, you have made yourself sin within yourself. If they walk in with rags, set them on the front seat. They are just as much humanity as a guy in a $2,000 suit. So when you come in, there is no social division. You are dealing with humanity. You're dealing with flesh and blood. So that was the third thing. There was no division. We get in our eyes that, you know, it's the big eyes and little use. With God, there was no division. You come in, everyone is the same. Everyone is humanity. You cut them, they bleed. It don't matter how we look at them from the president to the lowest. You cut them, they still bleed. So that's why God said, when you do this, when you come, as we would say church, it is the same. When we come in, everyone is equal. Everyone is precious. Everyone has the same purpose and goal. And everyone should be loved on an equal basis. And when I find myself thinking more of this one than that one, I better check myself. I'm telling you, I'm telling you the truth. I had better check myself. God just not just evolve a plan. I'm telling you, the Bible says literally the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So 
I would think literally before Adam and Eve ever went wrong, before it ever went bad, God had already devised a plan. The plan was already in place. It was just, it was just there. God said, I will devise a church. If humanity goes wrong, I have a place where the enemy will not torment you forever. There will be a remedy concerning this. I will not allow my people to be tormented beyond a certain amount of time. God would not allow it. The ultimate goal was that God was going to have a church. He predestinated this church. He said the gates of hell was not going to prevail against it. He ordained this church to win. Everything about it was to be victorious. He said, I'm going to give myself for this church, and he did. But what some people confuse is the predestination in the church. I'm telling you, when it comes to predestination, it's the church that's predestinated, not individuals. Don't confuse that. Now, do I believe in predestination in the church? Yes, I do. Do I believe that people could, can be predestinated? Now, follow me with this. Do I believe people can be predestinated? If you hook yourself to the church and you are with the church, then you are predestinated. If you cut yourself loose in this church, you are on your own. I'm telling you, God made this church to win. The gates of hell is not going to prevail against it. So therefore, when you sell yourself out, you do yourself according to this word, and you make yourself saved according to this Bible, you are predestined to go to heaven. That is according to Bible. But some people just says, because what would it be if you look at it? What, what, I'm predestined. You know, 30 years ago, I gave my life to the Lord. Since then, I've done what I wanted to do. <laughs> That's, you better understand God's word. He predestinated the church. Only when I hook myself to the church and follow the church holy, give myself to God holy, then I am predestined. When I do not follow the church and follow the pastor that he has given me and do not give myself holy to the church and, and give myself, are, are you understanding what I mean? Then I can consider myself predestined to win. Then what God said, the enemy won't, won't, will not advance against my church. Then I can claim the same victory that God put on the church. Then that's when I believe God can look at me and says, not only can you rebuke the enemy for the church's sake, then I can rebuke the enemy for my sake. Because I'm not only rebuking him for Kenneth, I'm rebuking him because I got the same blood applied to me that he put on Calvary and, and then therefore that he applied to the church. So therefore, when it comes to predestination, just hook yourself to the church because I'm telling you, this church is going to make it. This church will not fail. There is no earthly way possible for the church to fail. God ordained it to win. And it is going to win. Let every human fail on the earth. This church will not fail. It will not fail. It will win. It will win. It will win. It is secure. We can have a secure. We can have a secure salvation. I'm telling you, with the church, we can do it. For centuries, the church was an unknown mystery, literally. In other words, the Bible talks about in uh, the Bible, it just says, turn with me to um, 
First, First Corinthians. I'll read. I'll just read it. First Corinthians. First um, Corinthians two. The Bible just says it like this. First Corinthians two. First Corinthians two. When it speaks of the mystery, it just says it like this. First Corinthians chapter two, verse seven. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they had known it, they would have not they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. So even the enemy didn't even know it. Because this mystery that, that God had basically hid from the ages, there was a mystery. And this mystery was even hid from the enemy. That he says that I'm going to make myself a body. I'm going to come inhabit this world. And God even hid it from the, the enemy. So he takes... And he hides this. And he says that if the enemy would have knew just who that he was being crucified, they would have never went through with it. Because what he in essence did was made it possible, as we know, as the overcoming plan to just be put in fulfillment. And that's basically what happened. Now, the Bible also tells us That this, as we know, God's literal motive was just to literally have someone to share an eternity with. And he created man. He created humanity. And he just wanted somebody to just share eternity with him. And all of this, through all the eons of time, through ever how much time it took to have this process, to have it completed, everything that was done was just have man overcome the enemy and to have God basically, as we would know the analogy, a bride to live with him throughout the eternity. And that's what we know. A lot happened for that to happen. But we know that is the reason. Now, any building, institution, family, or individual is only as good as the foundation that it rests upon. We know that literally. We have seen that literally. We know that. Peter and the other disciples, in Matthew, I'm going to turn there. I didn't give this scripture to them, but if you just want to just turn and follow along with me, I'm just going to Matthew uh, 16. The Lord, he's just speaking of the foundation of the church. He had just got through speaking of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he's talking. And so he comes to the coast, and he asked his disciples, says, in verse 13, he says, uh, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they start naming some names. 
And in verse 15, he says, But whom say ye that I am? And I believe that's, that's one of the real questions. It doesn't really matter. when it, I believe to the Lord, it doesn't really matter what the world, who the world thinks he is. But I believe when it comes to the church, what God considers his own, I believe it matters a whole lot who we really think he is. And that's why God looked at his own disciples and asked them, but who do you say that I am? Have you got this yet? You're saying that all this, all these other disciples is just still calling me a prophet. Have you ever got beyond the prophet stage? Some of them has never even got beyond the prophet stage. They still think I'm just a prophet. And he says, where are you? And Peter's the one that blurts it out. And he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And in verse 17, it's where he tells him, flesh and blood has not received this, has not revealed this unto thee, but my father which is in heaven. Now, this revelation must be a desire. Because it says, now here is the Lord standing there looking at them physically. And he tells them, flesh and blood hadn't revealed this to you. That's why that ministers, apostolic oneness ministers has preached this for years. This is a revelation. That is why it is said. That is why people that are satisfied. I'm, I'll just put apostolic people that is satisfied to come in and warm up you and go home. Will never ever see this mystery. Because you must literally desire to see this. Because he says flesh and blood is not going to show you this. You will not be taught this. If you do not come in this house and desire to see this mystery, then you will never, ever see it. You must have a desire to see this mystery. Because God himself, standing to the man, he's going to hand the keys and says, you will never be taught this. And this mystery is that God himself would inhabit a body because it's just... What I'm fixing to say, don't consider me crude. Just hear me all the way out. In the Bible, the church, the bride of Christ, it goes to the analogy of us, husband and wife. Because I believe it does that because that is God always took a natural and compared it to a spiritual. Because I believe we could, it's so easy for humanity to relate to that. So I believe that's why it likens us, the church, as a bride. Because we just naturally get it. We know husband, wife, the relationship they have. We know the, the, the oneness that they have, the communication. We understand that. So I believe where the, the world has went wrong, where they read there's a father, there's a son, and there's a Holy Ghost, where there must be three. But that is an analogy. To me, it's just like if that was the case, don't, don't call me crude. If that was the case, here it Literally, God would say, okay, son, I love humanity so much, you go die for them. No, the mystery is that God himself 
would inhabit a body that Jehovah himself would leave glory and inhabit that body. The flesh itself would be called in this Bible the Son of God. Nowhere else in Scripture it is it labeled anything else. When it says the Son of God, it is referring to the flesh of God. So therefore, that is the mystery. And when he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, I believe God just said, That's it. You literally get it. You get the mystery within the church. Everyone else is thinking, I'm just a prophet. Or I'm just somebody else is just walking the face of the earth. And you literally get the mystery that's within the church. That is why some people say, I never get it. There's three. There, there's three. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. And, and that is something that, not, not that we fight. I don't mean it that way. That is just something that is labeled against us. That is why we're called Jesus only. We're not Jesus only. There is a Father. There is a Son. There is a Holy Ghost. But I'm telling you, these are Yahweh in human flesh. God had made himself. He said, this flesh is going to leave. I am going to go back to heaven, and I'm going to send my spirit. That spirit I'm going to label as the Holy Ghost. I have died, so I'm going to label it the Holy Ghost. That is what I'm going to put in you. And that spirit is what I took to overshadow Mary and to give her the strength. Give her the strength to produce a body. Therefore, that flesh that would never know no sin. Think about it. That would never know no sin. Therefore, that's the spirit that I'm going to put in you to overcome the enemy, to overcome the flesh that you fight, that I fight. God said that I'm going to give you the Holy Ghost that overshadowed Mary, that produced me, my flesh. That is the spirit that I'm going to send back. And that's what we have, the Holy Ghost that God give us. It is not another God. It is Yahweh that God sent back to us. And therefore, I believe that literally is the mystery within the church. And some people will never get it because they have no desire to see it. Do not call me cruel. I'm just trying to be as plain as I could be without being obnoxious. I'm telling you, we have got to scream this till God comes. I'm telling you, there is one God, and I'm telling you, we cannot go no other way about it. God himself came, and he says, this is me. And some never get past the prophet. That's why God stopped him. He said, don't stop. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a prophet. I came. I'm Yahweh in human flesh. And therefore, when God came, and therefore he died. We know this because he, and it's not, literally. And I understand this, but at this particular time, when the apostle Peter said this, it was not about the man. It was about the God that inhabited the man. And that was about the God that left heaven and came and dwelt in that body. That is why I used to, when I first started coming here, and, and, and minister would stand behind his pulpit and say he was fully God and fully man. We'll say, okay. Uh, uh, you know, that, that's going to take me a little while, but I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you. It's going to take me a little while, but I ain't going nowhere. I feel something here that I ain't never felt before. I ain't leaving you. You ain't running me off. 
I'm telling you, you get a desire. It won't take long. I'm telling you, God will show you a mystery and he'll show you mysteries like you have never dreamed. I promise you. But I'm telling you, the sad fact, some it'll be just a mystery. It'll always remain a mystery. And I'm telling you, there is a mystery. And this will remain a mystery to some. Some will always call us Jesus only to the day they die because they do not understand the mystery within the church. But I'm telling you, the ones that understand it, God is coming back to get his church. He really is. He is coming back to get his church. And we, we want to be ready. The Bible says we are building fitly framed together, growing into a holy temple. Peter declared us as lively stones built up unto a spiritual house. Now, the funny thing in reading this, most of my life I have been spent as a mason. And I don't know why this just hit me, but in the Bible, we're never called bricks or blocks. We're called stones. And I guess just me being a mason, I just looked at this this past week a whole lot different because and just from a mason's point of view, just in laying brick or block, you just pick them up and you just lay them. You just go with them. Everything's the same. But the Bible never calls us that. He calls us lively stones. And just to take a natural to make a spiritual. And lay in stone. I never, very seldom do you pick up a stone and just put it in the wall. You always have to work on it first. And it's just in doing a wall, you always have to shape it and fit it and work on it. And some... You pick it up, and it, you just say it'll never fit there, and you just lay it back down. And then in a couple hours, you say, you know what? That piece I laid back down will fit perfect right here. And that's what the Bible calls us, lively stones. We look at people, and we say, where can God ever use them? God's got a spot, I'm telling you cut out for them that only they only they are going to feel oh I was thinking about this I've just I've literally took pieces that I felt like just frisbee into a pile that I've just set beside and get to a point and I just say you know what man it fits perfect it fits perfect and that's what the Bible likens us as, lively stones. And I thought, there's another natural. I don't know if you get that, but I'm telling you as a mason, <laughs> I get that perfect, boy. I get that perfect. The Bible tells us of a parable that, um, that happened and. You want you can go ahead and uh let me see. No, I don't want to go there just yet.
turn with me to um, John the 6th chapter. I'll go there first. I don't know if I give them this verse or not, but I apologize. In John the 6th chapter... Jesus is, um, we know John is, is the, the film that Brother Boyd showed us a couple months ago where the man was talking about imitating John, about how John just, when his writings just went straight to the point. I mean, he just went straight to talking about the Lord. I don't think there's no parables in John to speak of, and he just, he just went straight to it. But, um, and Jesus is, um, is teaching and here he says, um, what he is doing or what has happened, this is right after feeding the 5,000. I'll jump back to there to just let you know, just to build this up. He feeds the 5,000, 5,000 men. I don't know how many was there. A large portion was there. But he feeds the 5,000, so he feeds them physically. Uh, it's what I would say. He feeds them physically. So then he goes and not only just wants to feed them physically, but God wants to feed them spiritually. Now he wants to feed them spiritually. So he starts this, and I don't really know how it went about, but in, just in my mind's eyes, we say, I, I could just see the people there, and just all of a sudden they hear this man that they've been following says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And I can just see the man looking at his wife and said, did he just say what he, did he just say that? Doesn't he know as Jews that we can't drink no blood? More or less. We're not even supposed to touch the flesh. More or less even eat the flesh. So they start bickering. You know I'm thinking, who does this guy think he is? And the Lord's, you know, I'm sure the Lord, I'm thinking in human terms. There's only terms I know how to think in. But I'm sure the Lord is, you know, there's more to life than just filling your stomach. You need to fill your spirit. And God is saying, this is not, what I'm saying is not about filling your stomach. It is about filling your spirit. And so, and then... You talk about how murmuring's contagious. Then even his own disciples starts murmuring among themselves. Now I don't know what they're griping about, but I don't know. And the Lord looks around, and even his disciples is starting to bicker among themselves. So at this same, so the Lord looks at them and asks them the question: Does this offend you? Now, I bet that was an eye-opener when God asked him, does this offend you? So then, I imagine there was a little bit of quietness going on right then. So they're just standing there, and the Bible tells us from that verse 66, 6 of 66 is where I pick up. 
It says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then said Jesus, verse 67, then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye also go away? Then said Simon, Simon Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, when the Lord looked at his disciples and says, does this offend you? Now, all the other people were saying, this is a hard saying. You know, they could not get past the physical. All they were thinking about, they, 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 still, they still was thinking about eating. You know, I guess a few, the hours had gone by and it's time to eat again. So all they, when he said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, they immediately went to the physical. So they're just thinking about filling their stomach. And the Lord's, and they're saying, you know, this is a hard saying. You know, we don't get it. You know, we're ready to eat. And he's talking about eating flesh and drinking blood. And he knows we can't do that. And then the Lord, when he looked at his disciples, they're starting to murmur. And God just says, you know, look, what if Brother Boyd was preaching, anointed of the Holy Ghost, and we act like we're ticked off. And he says, look, is this making you mad? Are you mad about this? And, I mean, what would I do? Brother Rayleigh, are you ticked off about this? I am fully persuaded, fully persuaded that in our Christian walk, we will be given opportunities just like this. We will be presented with situations just like this. But where the apostle Peter tells him, you know, I used to literally, and Brother Boyd was ministering, and he just in passing mentioned this, and just, I, I, I suppose everyone's different. We're all different personalities, so I guess everyone is different. But just the way the Lord deals with me, with Brother Boyd just mentioning this, and then when the apostle Peter asked and said, to whom shall we go, I'm telling you, the Lord really helped me with that. And it was just like, you know, I, w I always looked at that like a pitiful answer. Almost like, you know, really, we got nowhere else to go. You know, we sold everything. And then like the Lord just opened my understanding. He really meant it. He really meant it. I understand the mystery. You are Yahweh. There's no need for me to look nowhere else. There's no need for me to go nowhere else. You've got the words to eternal life. So therefore, I believe that when he said in verse 69, the first words of that, and we believe and are sure, that's the way it's got to be. We have literally got to make our mind up when it comes to that. When we are given this opportunity, we got to literally say, and we believe and are sure that he says that thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. So when he took and he did this and he says, we believe and are sure. So he takes and he did and he done this and he literally tells them that when he says, are you going to go away also? And Peter says, no, we're not going away. We're not walking away. To whom would we go? We got nobody to go to. 
Literally. There's no one else. You think we're going to go to the church down the street? We're not interested in a church down the street. You're the one. You're the one that we're interested in. So I believe that's why he did that. Now, now I want to go to Matthew. Turn with me to Matthew um, Matthew 25. The Bible talks, the Bible gives a parable. I want to look at right quick. That it's called the parable of the talents. And I'll just hit it right quick. Um, it's a lot of reading. I won't read it. But basically what happens is the Lord, in, in this parable, there's uh, three groups of people that gets talents, five, two, and one. And the Bible tells us plainly and clearly, do not compare yourself among yourself. So here's a perfect example what happens. One gets five, one gets two, and one gets one. That's why I said everyone is different. Everyone has different personalities. Everyone is motivated different. Some you don't have to say nothing to. Some you have to prod and push. Come on, let's go. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Everyone is different and motivated different. That's okay. But in this parable, the Lord takes, he gives one five, two, and one. Okay, my point is this. So he takes and he goes away. He gives them the talents. So then the Lord comes back. And it's time to give the reward. So the one that had the five, the Lord says, okay. So he gives him his reward for the five. So the one that had the two, he doubled his. So the Lord says, enter in thy faithful servant. So he gives him his reward. So the one that had the one, to the individual that received one talent, the Lord said, basically, what did you do with your talent? And the Bible tells us what he did is that he took and he went and digged in the earth and hid, and hid his Lord's money. He went and digged in the earth and took that talent and hid his Lord's money. So one day I'm thinking about this. And I thought, man, you know, I just, just, wow, he buried that talent within himself. So, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, we're made of the earth. So I think uh, a theory that I could use is that what he just literally did, where he says he took his talent, he digged in the earth, that the talent that God gave him, he just buried within himself. He wouldn't use it. So God asked him, what did you do? He said, I hid it. I knew you was a hard taskmaster, basically, and I hid my talent. So verse 29, if you will look at it, this is what I want to get to. Now, don't get lost in this wording. Verse 29, for unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But to him that hath not, shall be taken away even that which he hath. Now, just leave that verse there, if you will. Um, For to everyone that hath shall be given. Okay? And he shall have abundance. God said, I've given you talents. You've used your talents wisely. I've given you an abundance. The five and the two, they've used their talents. In other words, here is your reward. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, we know they're getting rewards now. 
But look at the, the last portion. But to him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. Now, this is just a theory. This is just me. Now, I don't think, the Bible says, take that talent and give it to the one that hath ten. But I really don't think we're talking about talents here. What I think at this point, what we're really talking about is the reward. Now, when God came, he gave him a talent. Now, what that talent, what it was going to produce was a reward. So when God came back, the one that hid that talent within himself and would not use it, God said, you know what I'm going to do? The reward that I had for you, that I set aside for you, I'm going to take and give to that one that has ten. That's why it says, but him that hath, in other words, you had a reward, shall be taken away even that which he hath. You did have this, but now I'm taking it, and I'm giving it away. See, that's why we have to be very careful. That's why there's so many different personalities. That's why the Bible says don't compare yourself among yourself. Some says, I can't do this. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. It does not matter. You, that's why it's, it's insane to look. If, you're, if you say, I'm shy and I am withdrew, I, I promise you, there, there is something you can do. And all the people all, uh, of the talents receive the same reward. It's not, it's, this is a perfect example. It's not that, uh, that you uh, come to church and, say, and look at someone and just says, wow, look at what they're doing. I could never be on that level. You're not supposed to be on that level. God knows the individual. He knows the thoughts and the intent of the heart. He knows our ability, what I am capable of, my limitations, just what I can accomplish. And some people defeat their own self when they think, just because I'm not doing this, I can't get to here. That's not the purpose. Don't hide the talent that God gave you. I don't care if it's one talent. We're trying to make it to heaven. Heaven is our goal. I don't want the talent that God gave me to be just taking the reward in the end for my reward to be taken from me, given to someone else. But just, I want to just do what I can. And, and if somebody says, I don't care if you label it, well, you didn't do very much. You only done just a little. I just want it to be said, I did what I could. I gave what I could. And it's just... We're not supposed to be just trying to be all on an equal basis. We are not equals. We are individuals. We are all serving the same God. We serve out of the same book. But we are individuals. There is going to be diversity in the church. But there should be no division in the church. We should all come of the same goal and the same purpose. And believe the same gospel per se. We don't want to believe some out of the wall thing. We want to believe the same doctrine. We want to believe what the book says. But we are individuals. That's why the Bible gives us parables like this that there's different levels because we're just all different we are all different personalities and walks of life and characters and it's just we're all just different but i'm telling you god don't hold that against us when you were created god knew what you was going to be like if you was going to be outgoing if you was going to be withdrew if you was going to be a loner if you was going to be one that want to be seen of everyone god knew what you was going to be like he loves you. 
and wants the best for you. And I believe that when we come and we give ourselves and give ourselves to God, that God literally has the best for us. And that's why, that's why I, I say, and I, and I want to always say, when you come to church, come with an expectation. Don't come like I'm just going to church. I'm just, it's, it's 10 o'clock or it's 7.30. I'm just coming. I'm just going through the motion. No, I am going to church because I want to hear from my Father. I want to hear from God. I want to come in with my spirit just, I want it to be just like a sponge, literally. I want God to speak to me, and it does not have to come from this pulpit. I'm telling you, you come in with a hungry heart and come in because the most important thing, though, is the mystery within the church. And I'm telling you, we can never scream that loud enough that this book, what this book says about the oneness of God and God giving himself for us, receiving his spirit, and being baptized in his name and given everything God gave for us because everything he did, everything you read from start and finish was for humanity. He gave himself for the love of humanity and he did it all for humanity. Hallelujah. I love you. I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.